coming to get you, Barbara. Oh, that's creepy. <laughs> I love it, though. Now me, I not only drink really, I really drink. We are Buzz on Movies. Hey out there, all you cool cats and kittens. We're bringing you <laughs> another episode of Buzzed on Movies After Dark. Ooh. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. By the way, this is Buzzed on Movies. I'm Teddy. And I am Matt. Welcome oh, once again. <laughs> we're we're here tonight to to talk movies at you. And tonight we're well, we're in the holiday season, so we're gonna be focusing on two recent holiday entries, Thanksgiving and the holdovers. Ooh. Um both of these come with buzzed on movies lore associations so <laughs> pretty good um That's so pretty good true. roundup we've got here um this is one of the most buzzed on movies episodes we could have for the holidays um so good for yes, us a, honestly a very buzzed on movies holidays to you then yes we're well once again we've taken a, a break here <laughs> but uh we got our halloween so episode out, out. We're getting we're the, the, the holidays episode out. I feel like we're we're doing we're doing the minimum right now. We're gonna get we up to speed eventually. Um, we will. First of all, the Oscars are coming up. Um, that is true. The Oscars things are gonna be crazy. Year, they're falling they're in an unfortunate time for you. Um, <laughs> I am I am getting married oscars weekend so I, you know tonight i got home i was making my drink for the, the episode and i was like huh it's teddy's wedding <laughs> oscar weekend um and yeah. i didn't look it up and i was like i know that the answer is yes i don't need to, to double check this so i'm really glad you've just confirmed it for me because i yeah. knew in my yeah. heart that it was we're planning um, dates, and there were all sorts of considerations to be made. So I didn't want to be like, you know, we can't really do that weekend because we, you know, the thing we do where we <laughs> watch the Oscars every year and watch all the movies. But, yeah. you know, it wasn't the primary concern at the time. But yeah, it is I, something no, I'm I mean, thinking about now. <laughs> yes, I do. I do understand that it would not be the primary concern. I do applaud you for not making it the primary concern. I think <laughs> had I been you, I would have been like, that is probably not the best choice. So I really admire that you had the the wherewithal to not put like up a, a fight about that. That's admirable. That's really good of you. Um, Cause I'm not going to be that way about my wedding. Um, I like um, if my, if my boyfriend is listening to this episode in the future, I Second date, I told him what our wedding would look like. So um, <laughs> I have some opinion. <laughs> so I wouldn't, that wouldn't happen for me. You're putting uh, your expectations out there. You're like, yeah, I let like that's, yeah. that's a good way to do things. You get out front of the expectation. Exactly. I'm like, by the way, I have these thoughts and um, it's non-negotiable. Um, so, you know, like things like the Oscar weekend. No, that, that's not an option for a wedding because I've got too much going on that weekend. Um, mostly me being anxious about the Oscars and also catching up on the seven movies I have left to watch. Um, right. So, <laughs> hey, so you know, there's there's all sorts of things that, that grooms typically do before the wedding. It's like maybe you're you're ner get you're getting cold feet. 
get nervous. Me, I'm probably going to be watching like Napoleon. One, <laughs> I'm going to be watching Napoleon in the morning, trying to squeeze it in before the ceremony. Um, yeah, oh, God no, that, forbid something decidedly worse than Napoleon. No, one of the <laughs> one of the documentaries that yeah. Like, some probably some documentary about uh just a horrible war or something um yeah, yeah. imagine watching like eo five minutes before you are <laughs> <laughs> feeling like you're the one being led into the slaughterhouse at that point oh my gosh oh that's so good it's such a great visual of somebody finishing <laughs> like tying their tie walk and finishing eo and then walking out to their wedding as the credits play on eo that's it's so dark yeah i'm hoping that that's not the mindset i'm in at the time but i think yeah. we can safely say that is not the mindset you'll be in at the time i so you will, you will not have that sort of mindset about it yeah um, but that is that is on the horizon that is another potential pitfall on the buzz on movies death race which we will still be doing one way or another yeah my um, odds of winning and winning before you have never been better this is exactly. like this is my time to shine um so <laughs> even though i think that every year i win before you which is not a, a knock it's just you're always watching a movie right before the ceremony comes on and that's never the case for me no that's uh, true that's true i'm definitely <laughs> i'm definitely more of a down to the wire kind of guy yes uh, um, but see this that's year that's an vibe. extra that's an extra motivation to me to yeah. get done early because i'm not i really can't be rolling into that weekend with a bunch of movies to watch right. so you don't yes. have that luxury, so yeah. Neither do I mean that weekend. I also don't have that luxury. <laughs> yeah, yeah. To, to be clear, clear. <laughs> you will also be busy. Um, but yeah, we've so that's that's something that's coming up right now. You know, we're just enjoying the holiday season, where uh, and all the cinematic joy that it brings us. Um, cinematic joy. Before we get too much into movies, though, we got to talk about our favorite topic. What are we drinking tonight, Matt? What are we drinking? What aren't we drinking is a better question. Um, I don't know why I said that. That's not a better question. <laughs> what I'm drinking is apple cider because I thought it was both Thanksgiving and Christmassy. Um, and, of course, in honor of um, a certain Christmas movie we watched for this episode, I did spike it with Jim Beam. So, oh, nice, nice. Yes. That is um, very pertinent. Yes. Um, I did love the inclusion, and we'll get into this in the holdovers of many different uh, beverages of choice. Yeah, um, definitely... I gotta say though, they spoke to us or you directly with the champagne of beers multiple oh, yeah. times. They they reference a champagne of beers, and I was like, you know what? This is bomb approved. Um, that's true. Bomb so is that is. Be clear. That is my choice for tonight, by the way. I figured it I, would be. I did think I, it of would course, be. As someone who has brought this to the table many times over the course of this podcast, I could not turn down the chance to once again drink Miller High Life, the champagne of beers, um, because of its appearance in the holdovers. Yes. And yeah. <laughs> it makes a real it make it's a noticeable appearance in the holdovers. Um Actually, it's not an appearance at all. It is mentioned many times, though. It is a whole uh, through line. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but it is actually not 
in appearance. It is not it's, seen. Yeah. Nobody is drinking it. Um, right. Except it's, maybe it's background the, characters. <laughs> um, it's the Godot of beers. It really is the Godot of beers. I was sitting there the whole time. I was like, get that boy a fucking high life. Um, we, we really just needed an end credit scene where it's just Angus like drinking a high life alone. Yeah. <laughs> like in a parking lot or something. Yeah. We really needed that. It was, I was waiting for it. I was like, get that man. Um, but yes. So I'm glad that you are drinking that. Like I assumed you would be. Um, I'm glad that both of our drinks are more holdovers themed, even though I like Thanksgiving. It's not a knock against Thanksgiving, but the holdover was felt like a very special movie. So I feel good that we're both honoring it. Yeah. So, um, have you been watching any other kind of holiday films that get into the spirit? Absolutely not. I've been so bad about movies so far. Um, look, it's just been like a busy time, both with like life and work, you know? Um, so I just feel like I have not watched a ton of movies lately. It's, it's really embarrassing. It's December 11th and I've watched three movies in December. Um, Ooh. I average one a day in any other month. So that tells you how bad things are. Yeah, that's um, true. You you usually watch them a lot more than I do. And I'm yeah. looking um, at my letterbox this month, I'm actually ahead of you. Yeah. So I, you know, things have just been a little bit um, busy. I haven't had time. And when I do have time, like the last thing I want to do is like put on a, a movie that makes me think at all. So I'll like instead watch sports or something. Um, so anyway... No, um, I have watched, I did watch P2 last night, which is a Christmas movie. Um, it is a Christmas movie about a girl trapped in a parking garage in lower Manhattan with Wes Bentley trying to murder her, but like, it's a Christmas movie. Um, I mean, that's an iconic Christmas scenario. So that's, uh, we've all been there. So, you know, whatever. Um, holiday wise though, I did watch a Charlie Brown Thanksgiving. Um, Oh, nice. I did watch Ordinary People for the first time, and that is a holiday movie, um, technically. I watched that after Thanksgiving, um, and it is, it's set around the holidays, and it's about family, and, and the holidays play a key role in it, so it is a, it is a holiday movie. Also, it was very good, and I sobbed. Um, so, you know, I've done some stuff, but no, it's been pretty bad. Um, I did watch It's a Wonderful Knife as well. Sorry, I should clarify. That is also a holiday movie. Um, yeah, yeah, we watched. I watched that too. We're the, coming uh, up on when I I have to start my my obsession with the holiday rom coms though. It's it's mm. like starting to get to be time, you know. Like I need some Vanessa Hudgens on my screen. Um, <laughs> it's it's been, her season. This is her time. This is it. It's Vanessa Hudgens and um whoever's in a Christmas Prince, the blonde who wears Converse. Um. Rose McIver. Um, so, yeah, it's time. Okay, it's time. yeah. What about you? Well, I also watched It's a Wonderful Knife. That's the uh, the slasher slash um, It's a Wonderful Life type movie that's out. I was yeah. hoping it would be a little better. Um, Me too, yeah. I'm, I'm a fan of most of the people who are involved. Uh, yeah. I like the premise but it just it got lost in like way too much going on and not enough like fun killing slashing stuff. My my thing with that movie was like it didn't know what it wanted to be. Um and like what I really liked about that movie was the killer design. I thought the killer looked really yes. cool. The the all white angel killer was like 
pretty awesome. Like that was a fun look and it, it, it like very creepy too. But then the rest of the movie was just like a little bit, it was just a bit, you know what I mean? Like it was a bit much. We were doing a lot. Um, I liked how gay it was, but like maybe it could have been like a little better about it. Um, not that it was, you know, it wasn't like offensively gay, just to be clear. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm saying yeah. that it was like, you know, it was a little, I don't know, the, the way it was handled was odd, like as a coming out story. Like, <laughs> I was like, is this really like the best way to tell a coming out story? I'm not sure that I'm like the vibe, the, the through line there didn't really add up to me. Um, but I did like a lot of the cast. Um, and I thought it like it had fun moments. It had fun moments. But then like at the end, it also was like a weird sci-fi movie. I mean, it was always a sci-fi movie because it's, it's a wonderful life. But like, then like he's like controlling everybody in the town. I was like, wait, hold on. How did yeah, we exactly. <laughs> like that was that was one of the parts where I was like, okay, we're doing we're doing too much in this movie. Like we've already got like the slasher thing, and we've got like this sort of like alternative uh, alternate history type thing where you're seeing the world how it would look when if you weren't born but then like we're also adding in mind control and it's like there's just yeah, there's too many it's things like the faculty or something and yeah. like i don't know what we're doing here um it was just very odd i didn't understand that when it got there it really really lost me um but there were things about it i liked i liked that it tried to be sentimental while also being a slasher yeah that was kind of yeah. nice i did like even though i thought like the through line from this girl's life to suddenly being a coming out story was a little bit forced. Like it, the opening did not make it seem like that was the direction it was going to go is all I'll say. Mm -hmm. Um, okay. um it, you know, I did like the ending that she had and I liked that it ended up being very queer. That was cute. Um, um, yeah, but just the weird, like the tone was all over the place. Um, just strange. Just strange. And Joel McHale's character was very odd to me. I didn't know what was going on with him at any given moment. Um, so, I yeah. don't know. Like, <laughs> an interesting movie of fun. You know, it, it, I I saw it on a cold night in, like, right at, around Thanksgiving. I got it some holiday sangria and cookies and, you know, whatever. I saw it in theaters. It was fine. It had the holiday vibes, you know. It had That's enough of great. that. Yeah. I did. I saw christmas in connecticut recently oh my gosh that's what a, a name yeah that's an old movie 1945 yeah but um this is the first time i've seen this but it's really nice it like it kind of plays like the rom-com tropes that we're all the christmas rom-com tropes that we're all used to at this point except it's like fresh because like it didn't have decades of that weighing it down at the time right um it's about like this uh this soldier who oh uh sailor who got um stranded at sea for weeks and then as part of his recuperation like and to sort of say thanks for him they're like oh why don't we send you out to the farm of this um columnist columnist who writes um like things about housekeeping and cooking and all of that. And like, she'll give you a real Christmas welcome and like say thanks for helping our troops overseas or whatever. And 
like it turns out that the columnist is not like that at all. Like she just lives in a crappy little city apartment and writes columns about like all this fancy homemaking that she does. And so it's like a comedic thing where she has to like pretend to be this whole other person. And there's a bunch of misunderstandings and stuff. And it's just like lots of classic rom-com stuff in there. But, um, but it's actually like good acting and direction. There's a lot of like famous character actors from the time in there. So it was quite good. I enjoyed it. Nice. Yeah. I, I like the sound of that. Anything else? Or is that a... I saw Meet Me in St. Louis. I mean, I've seen that a million times. That's always a fun one to watch at the holidays. Although I like, I disagree that it's really a holiday movie. <laughs> but um, everybody else seems to want to watch it around the holidays. So I'm like, fine. I mean, I like the movie. It's it's fine. But there's one scene at Christmas. Like, they also do Halloween, but nobody seems to watch it at Halloween. But, like, people um, do that with movies. Like, yeah. that's not unusual. Like, like there are people who, like, think of, like, the first Harry Potter as a Christmas movie because it has about yeah. 20 of Christmas imagery. So, like. Yeah, that, I run into that, too. Yeah. I feel like that's common and I feel like I don't really know why that is because I don't feel like any other holiday gets that treatment when there's a scene from that holiday in the movie. Um, It's like specifically Christmas and maybe sometimes Thanksgiving, but that's just because Thanksgiving is rarer in movies. There's a lack of Thanksgiving movies. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Like, so I I don't know. I, I, it is an odd phenomenon, but yes, it, I feel like it's like pretty common. People just, I mean, sometimes those scenes are pivotal. And so that, then it makes sense to me. Um, Like when Harry Met Sally is a New Year's movie to me. Um, And I, you know, even though it's not all taking place on New Year's or whatever, it's because like a key scene in the end is, (laughs) Um, you know what I mean? So I guess it just depends. Yeah, that's, that's fair. I think um have yourself a merry little christmas the song is a key part of why it's remembered as a christmas movie that yeah Uh, absolutely no that has become a phenomenon outside the film so that it also helps when like the imagery is so like traditionally christmas like i'm thinking of like the harry potter christmas scene in the first movie the the reason that's maintained is because it's like snowy castle pine trees and fireplaces like yeah, everybody wants their Christmas to look like that. Like, <laughs> so, you know, sometimes it's just like the vibes of that one scene. But I can't imagine watching a whole movie for one scene when, I don't know. It just depends. It depends. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it helps when the, I, I feel like it works a little better for um, me in St. Louis because at least it's the, like, it's not the final scene, but it's like the, the pivotal scene takes place. Exactly. Christmas. Yeah. Whereas like yeah. Harry Potter, it's just like something that happens midway through. It is midway through. Yeah. And I There's just, just like, recently rewatched the first one. Actually, I rewatched that. So maybe that was a holiday watch, I guess. Um, but um, I popped in my DVD when I was having a sick day not long ago. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> I had food poisoning and I couldn't keep anything down. And I watched Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. I'm sorry. Oh, no. The Philosopher's Stone. The um, philosopher's stone. Um, Why so. did we both do that? I don't know. Um, 
<laughs> um, yeah. So, um, yeah, I agree though. I think Meet Me in St. Louis, it makes more sense for that one than something like Harry Potter. But people do it for all sorts of movies where there's even like one holiday scene in it. It's just like the nature of it. But Christmas, there is no shortage of Christmas movies. You don't have to do that with Christmas movies. Yeah. It seems like Thanksgiving were, and like New Year's where it's like, okay, sure. Because there aren't a lot of those. <laughs> so, Right. Like Christmas, I feel like you'd already have a full slate for like the entire month of December. And you could like, right. watch like Christmas a movie and Halloween, and not run You out. don't have to do that. Like you've got so many already. It's all the other holidays where you sort of are like, okay, this movie counts because of one scene. Like, um, but sometimes it's the vibe. Like I said, sometimes it really, like, there are certain themes that are Christmas movie adjacent too. So that's important. Um, yeah. Vibes are definitely key. Yeah. Key vibes. And we can definitely get into that on the holdovers. I feel like the holdovers, uh, more so than just being set at Christmas, feels like a very Christmassy movie. It's extremely Christmassy. Christmas. I agree thematic but before we get to that we're going to take a little step back from christmas and talk about thanksgiving both the holiday and the film because uh Mm -hmm. we didn't get an episode out in time for thanksgiving but we're gonna do it now um okay so thanksgiving eli roth's new slasher has been something we've been anticipating for a while um I mean, it's been, like, how long? Like, think about... It's been over 16 years. Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, it was one of the fake trailers in Quentin Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez's uh, Grindhouse back in 2007. So, he made a fake trailer as part of that double feature um, exhibition type package film they made back then. And it's been something that people have been waiting for ever since. They've been like, when are they? When is he actually going to make Thanksgiving? Because it was a really fun trailer. Um, the the trailer doesn't exactly follow the movie that we got, but there's definitely lots of fun nods in there, and mm-hmm. like m- many of the major scenes were either recreated or hinted at. Um, but. It, it, it's been long anticipated. We're glad that it's finally here and also glad just to get another Eli Roth movie. I mean, it's always yeah, it's fun to see his films. Also glad to add a movie to the Thanksgiving canon and specifically the Thanksgiving horror canon. Um, yeah. Not know? a lot of them out there. <laughs> well, there's like so few Thanksgiving horror, but there's just few Thanksgiving movies, period. Um like what is it like planes trains and automobiles and now thanksgiving like there's that's nothing that's the else. big one is um is like guess who's coming to dinner is that thanksgiving yeah, yeah okay. i mean that's fine yeah um i don't necessarily want to watch that all the time but like sure some people do um, <laughs> i always counted miracle on 34th street as a honorary thanksgiving movie as well because it starts okay. at thanksgiving yeah, that's fair. Yeah, that's actually true of a lot of Christmas movies too. There are a lot of Christmas movies that span the whole like time in between. You know, it's it's not totally unusual, but a lot right. of them end up being more Christmassy than Thanksgiving. Um, so they just sort of fall into the th- the Christmas, you know, hat by default. Um, mm-hmm. um, 
You know, It's a Wonderful Life is really not a Christmas movie. It's got like one scene at Christmas. Sorry, I'm going back to the Christmas vibe. <laughs> that's um, true. That's true. Like, I, I have the, noticed the scene, that before. The parts at Christmas of that movie are so pivotal that it is such a Christmas movie. And the themes are so Christmas. Anyway, that's a, a totally, totally separate point. And uh, It's a Wonderful Life is like one of my top five favorite movies of all time. But um, um yeah, so there aren't there just aren't that many Thanksgiving movies, but there are some that like can fall into um, the category by default of being like thematically appropriate. I guess um, I don't know why my first thought was Cannibal Holocaust, but it was. <laughs> um, <laughs> wait, wait, whether Cannibal Holocaust is a Thanksgiving movie? Yeah, for some reason I think that. Um, movies that feature a lot of eating or food um, <laughs> okay are um, that, um <laughs> that's great yeah yeah um, well you know, yeah you, you gotta go with vibe because you don't have like the actual imagery in the movie, you know? So sometimes well, you could throw we... Eli Roth's green Inferno in there too. Eli Roth's green Inferno. <laughs> that was, that was his first real Thanksgiving movie. That was <laughs> Eli Roth's green Inferno is like a graduation day movie. Um... <laughs> <laughs> it's like, this is what life after college is like. <laughs> Well, also, it's like the things that happen in that movie. It's like, well, that's just what happens to you when you're hungover after graduation. Sorry. <laughs> Sometimes you shit like that. I don't know what to tell you. Um, oh, God. But, um, um, that movie is a very upsetting movie. Um, not that Cannibal Holocaust isn't. Um, no, no. <laughs> They're both quite upsetting. Both quite upsetting. Um, Green Inferno is very much you just graduated from Yale. How's it going? Um, <laughs> Welcome. So. <laughs> so, yeah, Thanksgiving. It is, uh, it's based on that trailer. It yes. follows, like, the same basic kind of plot in that we're in Plymouth, Massachusetts. I and, love it in Plymouth. I do love that. Yeah, like, th that's very key. I love it. Plymouth, they make Plymouth into, like, Thanksgiving Haddonfield in this movie. They do. Like, it's like... <laughs> Do you I'm think so I've, here for it. I've done like obviously I've never been to Plymouth in my life. Um, but like do you think that like does Plymouth actually do this for Thanksgiving? I like actually want to know the answer to this question. Um because if so, like I need to take like a Thanksgiving trip to Plymouth. Um, yeah, yeah. Does anyone like... know does Plymouth treat Thanksgiving the way that Salem treats Halloween? Like, do we do we need to go on a Thanksgiving pilgrimage to Plymouth? A pilgrimage to Plymouth. Ah! A pilgrimage. <laughs> we, we, you know, we're not the first ones to make a pilgrimage to Plymouth. No, and it wouldn't be the... Well, actually, your pilgrimage would be quite long now. My pilgrimage would not be long at all. Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, um, I do, I do want to know. I want to know. Um, do they do this? Because they, like, Plymouth in Eli Roth's Thanksgiving... It goes ham for Thanksgiving. It's oh, like yeah. people are the, doing the most. The fact that they all have the the masks, the John Carver mask, John Carver, <laughs> like one of the original pilgrims. 
I like, never, I'd never even heard of before. You know, movie. Eli Roth went into the annals of history and was like, we need a name for this killer. And then he's looking through the history of pilgrims and he's like, well, built in name right here, buddy. Um, Just perfect. <laughs> um, Carver. Hello. Um, yeah, really good. Really, really good. Um, Everybody has the mask. I can't fathom living in a town that feels that way about anything. Like, and I lived in Charlottesville, Virginia for eight years. I know towns that go a little ham about colonial figures. Yeah, yeah. Charlottesville um, is obsessed with Thomas Jefferson. There's statues <laughs> of him everywhere. But no, like, okay, so fine. Some people did go dress as him to the football <laughs> games. But that was only, like, two guys. That wasn't, like, the whole town. They yes. weren't handing out and masks have, of like, him at the local diner. Exactly, exactly. And we didn't have, like, entire days where everybody was doing it. Like, like, like that was just like some people at football games because it was UVA, like whatever. <laughs> um, yeah, it's very strange, but if that's how Plymouth is, I do want to visit. I just want to be upfront about this. I think it rules if Plymouth is like this. Yeah, um, no, I, I so, want to visit this where if this is real, like that, I, that's where I want to be. Yeah. But yeah, they're going, they go super ham for thanksgiving in this town and they also apparently go super ham for black friday um i do love that this movie starts with a black friday incident very yeah. but it's on thanksgiving it's on thanksgiving yeah. it is on thanksgiving uh, it, it much the way that it feels this feels a little outdated now because like black friday isn't as crazy as it was in like the late 2000s early 2010s but this is definitely like set in that or feels like it's set in that time period where like stores were like escalating how early they would open up. And like yeah. usually it became the thing where stores would open up at midnight on Thanksgiving or even a few hours into Thanksgiving. It's before. It's before because um, a certain friend of the pod and I spend Thanksgivings together pretty often and we will go out for Black Friday. But often it's become going out the night of Thanksgiving um yeah that's just crazy. crazy i can't i can't do that um oh well it's fine it's fine um because it's actually not the stores are usually fine um because it's actually not as bad as this movie scenario was those are like rare they just are very sensational um yeah but it was funny that this movie came out this year because actually this was the year where like walmart and like i think target decided they weren't gonna open on thanksgiving and it, like total coincidence but i was like huh, huh. Were they inspired by Eli Roth? Um, <laughs> They're like, oh, we, we've been called out. Like, we have yeah. to tone this down. Um, yeah, no, now I feel like it's becoming kind of a bad look to do that. So the stores are like, oh, this is like, this might actually hurt our image a bit. Yeah, I think I think <laughs> like in the, the era, like, following the advent of COVID, there's, like, more, like, concern about, well, what about the people who have to work there on those days? And so people don't. I think it's becoming worse and worse to, to be open on those days now, um, which is good. Um, you don't need to be open on Thanksgiving. What are you What are you buying on Thanksgiving night? I don't need to go. Like, I would go and I'd buy $5 CDs because I could. But in reality, I don't need to do that. Like, right. So <laughs> don't nobody ever get anything they need. Yeah. Don't <laughs> let me go there and buy my third copy of Fallout Boy from Under the Cork Tree. I didn't need it. <laughs> 
Um, um, but yes, there, there's a early scene in this movie where it, it's like pandemonium when the store opens on Black Friday, and it reminded me of the opening credit scene of uh, Krampus, the yeah. Michael Doherty movie. Michael Doherty, also well known for directing Trick or Treat, but it starts out with this like slow mo montage of people break like breaking into a store on black Friday and like everyone getting trampled. Um, so basically this scene is like that, but in fast motion and like way more violent, <laughs> like so many people get killed in this in like very gruesome ways. And I'm like, I feel like after like the decapitation, people might like stop and be like, okay, like, let's all chill like whoa i haven't seen this much blood before but and it's all about like people are like going in there for like some crazy shit if they want a waffle iron like yeah. it's a free uh, waffle iron it's like there's do, a free waffle do you, iron do you even need a waffle iron like i guarantee you don't make waffles that often hey it hey <laughs> a waffle iron was instrumental to my first rock of ages screening um Ooh, okay so, yeah you know Fair you had enough. the waffles um, well that's important then. Yeah. So right, and I, if you're going to watch Rock of Ages, then you can have a waffle iron. You can, that's the only the only reason. Um, yeah, but like somebody like gets their like scalp ripped out by a shopping cart. Like things go insane <laughs> in this in this um, chaos at the at the, yeah. the at the store. There's um, the security guard who gets crushed to death under the door that falls in. Yeah. It's just, mm. it is brutal. People are just like, it's a free-for-all. Nobody cares about anybody else. Everybody's just dying. Um, and you know what? They don't care. They don't care. Um, and it's a, it's, a, it's a blight on the town of Plymouth. Um, I do think if something like that happened in Plymouth, Massachusetts, it would be bigger news. Like, if, like, Plymouth was the site of, like, a nightmare Thanksgiving incident... I do think that the world would be like, hmm, I think this might be justice. Um, <laughs> um, well, it does. It does become a big news story. Um, it does, yeah. And like, it, it's interesting to see. Um, I feel like there's been a lot of criticism recently about how horror has adapted itself to like the age of social media, the age of cell phones and everything. Um, and a lot of, uh, people are accusing creators of setting their films in like the seventies or something to escape from that world and not have to deal with all that. But this movie, like I felt really embraced it and like told a story that really only works in the 2020s. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I mean, so, I also don't think that it's wrong to set your movie in the past and escape social media because yeah. I think that's, I think that's, Whatever. I think that people want to escape social media for a lot of reasons. So they set their movies in that time because they also want to escape it. So, but whatever. Um, I want to escape social media. Are you kidding me? True. Um, yeah, definitely. So, um, but yes, I think this movie absolutely embraced it and used it. And it, it would not have worked at all without social media being a presence in this movie. Um, and I think that was super important. And I thought it worked really well. Um, I thought it was really cool the way that like contemporary technology was a part of the movie. Um, right. 
So I liked it. <laughs> yeah. So the killer's motive in this movie is that he's taking revenge on all the people who acted badly during that um, rush of the store on Thanksgiving the previous year. Um, and we can see that he's like, he's somehow got access to security footage from the night of, and he's yes. using that to target people who like were involved in this and, and who didn't help other people who stepped over other people to grab like their TVs or whatever. Um, and one by one, he's picking them off um, in cartoonishly gory ways. There are, there is some crazy shit that happens in this movie. Um, just crazy. The kills are really good. First of all, there are some great kills in this movie. They're so, so fun. I love the one. Go for it. I love the one where the woman gets like flung off the hood of the car and then gets cut in half in the dumpster. Yeah, we were about to mention the same thing. Um, <laughs> um, so good. It's so funny. Um, somebody gets killed with like a turkey carving knife. Um, appropriate. Somebody gets baked yeah. like a turkey. Also appropriate. Um, there's just like all, somebody is killed on like a weird circle saw. Saw reference. Um, <laughs> um, I will always choose to believe that everything with a saw is a saw reference. Um, Must be. It's the only movie with saws. Exactly. Um, the only one. Um, but in Saw 5, there are circle saws. Um, so, you know, I'm just saying it could be. Um, there's the parade scene where there's a clown for some reason. Um, things are just like all over the place in this movie. And it's great. Every kill is fun. Um, just really. And like the gore is also quite good. A lot of it is practical effects. Um Yeah. So it doesn't look like weird CGI splashes everywhere all the time. It looks like actually good, goopy, gross gore, um, which yeah, is what we all I want, love. Right? <laughs> I love how the gore, like it, it straddles this fun line between like super realistic and also like not afraid to be goofy. Like there's that like that scene where the woman gets cut in half. She's got her intestines coming out, and they're clearly just like sausages all strung together. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. like it's just like goofy and fun. But then also there's parts of it that are like genuinely sickening that you're like, oh, that looked way too real. <laughs> so it's it's got the best of both worlds in terms yeah. of the special effects. Absolutely. It's a very I mean, that's a very Eli Roth like approach to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought it worked really, really well. So much so much of it. The uh, the, the gore um, and every every kill is just really enjoyable and fun, um, and and things that you haven't seen before. Um, and I thought that was that was it's first of all it's hard to do in a slasher in twenty twenty three. Um, we've just seen a lot, you know. I watch so many of these movies. It's hard to be like, oh yeah, I haven't seen that before. Um, I felt like this time I was actually saying that a few times. It was cool, and when I wasn't, I was still like, well, that was thematically appropriate, which is great. Mm-hmm. I want. You know, if you're going to be a holiday horror movie, make the kills about the holiday. You know, make make them reference the the thing we're all here for. I'm here because we're making a horror movie about Turkey Day. Give me some kills that are inspired by Turkey Day. 
Yeah. So, so the least the you can do is use a turkey carving knife in an <laughs> oven. All right. Yeah. Um, yeah. You could You've also, if you wanted to get real fucking freaky with it, use a turkey baster. However, I understand why we don't want to do that anymore because we all saw that one movie. So, um, yeah, yeah. Um, don't don't breathe. Already spoiled the turkey baster for I, us. Yeah. <laughs> um, but but we did get our a lot of turkey related kills in this movie. Yeah, you know, the the baked in the oven kill was pretty insane, and it, it did uh, bring back a moment from the trailer where yes. um, where the. <laughs> the Thanksgiving dinner is unveiled and it's like grandma cooked on the table. Yes. <laughs> um, that also yeah, the, a really good chase sequence. Like the chase oh, sequence yeah. leading up to the oven bake was really fun. It she was very tense. She, uh, yeah. I love that. I was the, <laughs> yeah. The, the victim in that scene was like really smart and like used a bunch of tricks to like almost get the jump on him. And like several times was able to hide in really interesting ways, but then eventually did get overcome and stuffed in the oven. I mean, it was interesting because she like 100% was like sucky as a person. Like we were not supposed to like her. Uh-huh. Right. And yeah. She put up a fight for this. Usually the characters and slashers who were clearly not supposed to like, don't put up much of a, of a fight with the killer, but she, she did. She was, she was, she wanted to live <laughs> yeah you end up rooting for her because yeah. the killer is obviously the shittier person um the killer by the way um is doing all of this dressed as john carver um he's got like a full a pilgrim outfit yeah a pil- he's got a full pilgrim outfit and he's wearing like one of the masks that have been passed around the whole town which leads to a lot of fun moments wherein like you think it's the killer but it's just somebody wearing one of those masks it's uh something that was also done in happy death day recently um oh yeah yeah the the idea that like there'd be a ton of people going around in these masks so you don't know who it could be uh especially important during the thanksgiving day parade scene you know um Halloween has done that before too. Remember when that's Dr. true. Was that Ben Tramer, <laughs> <laughs> poor old Ben Tramer. Yeah. Um, so there's a there's a strong tradition. It's trapping. It's tapping into in horror. Um, yeah. Where, yeah. The, uh, the duplicate horror mask movie directors problem. think yeah in a town everybody sometimes just wears the same mask, which has never been my experience ever in history. <laughs> Um, I do love how in, in horror movies like this, like entire towns just behave like absolute psychopaths. <laughs> I'm like, sure yeah. that like in some places in the world, that's true. Like you go somewhere out in like the fucking high deserts of Nevada. I am sure everybody's a fucking lunatic. <laughs> There's a the town area. just like this. Out there. Yeah. Like people are out there and every Halloween, they all dress like little green alien men. Like I am positive that that exists. <laughs> But like, go to Roswell, yeah, yeah. (laughs) But like, I also like have trouble fathoming that world. Maybe it's because I live in like the most populous city in the fucking country. But like, uh, you know, like, like there's no world in which everybody's doing the same thing in New York. Like, that's not that's just not happening. No, it would be fun if you all got like really into Fourth of July and all wore like Statue of Liberty masks or something. Oh my right? god, that would be so scary. <laughs> I think we should have a Statue of Liberty horror movie where somebody dressed as a Statue of Liberty kills people. 
Um, that would be pretty cool. Or it could be the I'll statue itself. The statue could come to life and it could be a kaiju movie. Um, I would we already kind of got that in Ghostbusters too. Oh, but right. well, it was, but it was on the good side. We need an evil Statue of Liberty. I need evil Statue of Liberty. Like she uses her torch to set things on fire and kill people. Okay, yeah, um, I'm there. I'm buying. Oh my god, it's like Cloverfield Four. Like you know what I mean. Um, <laughs> the statue strikes back. <laughs> um, Cloverfield Four takes a it, it takes a sharp tonal change. Um, um, yeah, that'd be fun. Um, but yes, that would be good. Or if um, everybody here dressed up as like um, Rudy Giuliani, um, <laughs> that would be scary. Or uh, never mind, I can't say it would be offensive. Um, but I was gonna say the Burning Towers. Um, look at all the rest of What if like if you got like way too into nine eleven? Like you know what? Never forget. <laughs> Sorry, We're I just gonna... a 9-11 celebration in New York City. People, you would get, I think they might, I think Mayor Adams might actually crucify you himself. <laughs> like, it's time, it to, it's time to take it back. It's time to, <laughs> to make it our own. I am reclaiming 9-11. Um, <laughs> yeah, you're right. Could you imagine how that would go over? I, you would have like Republicans on fucking News Nation calling for my head, and it, they wouldn't even be like it wouldn't even be subtle. They'd just be like, "I think we should decapitate that man." The liberals um, now are trying to celebrate nine eleven. All right, we didn't need to Ben Shapiro voice this <laughs> uh, <laughs> because that triggered me. Uh, <laughs> um, I can't I can't hear the Ben Shapiro voice without like feeling like my insides shrivel. You know, um, you're right, though. That is exactly what would happen. That is what would occur. So I think New York should do it. I think that's what should happen. I think we should every, hit off the conservatives even further. Every town needs a holiday that they get way too into that is, like, iconic. You know, New Orleans has Mardi Gras. Everybody I needs... Gonna, I, when you said New Orleans, I was like, the date of Katrina? But like, <laughs> <laughs> why is that where you went? Well, because the New York comparison was 9-11. <laughs> okay, yeah. I mean, I guess they could get really into Katrina, too. I don't know. I don't know what they would do. We're talking about but, reclamation here. Um, but, but yeah, every everyone should have their version of Mardi Gras. Um, you know, Plymouth, if they don't already do Thanksgiving like this, they need to get into it. Um, you're right. <laughs> but, yeah. So, the killer... <laughs> is very into thanksgiving well the killer he's hates do, thanksgiving i think I he's think actually yeah he's he's using this as an opportunity to punish people he's kind of mad about the whole the whole thing but it's interesting like you think that he'd have one of those like manifestos he's like people have forgotten the spirit of the season or whatever but he's got like a much more personal reason for doing all of this uh it just happens to be on thanksgiving um you know what he's got a mission that's what i'll say he's a man on a mission he's um he's out posting instagram pics of each one of his kills um <laughs> which is really <laughs> funny he's like just killed someone ama <laughs> um <laughs> which is um yeah a bit of that technology that we were talking about how 
it takes advantage of the modern technology rather than shying away from it. He's got this Instagram where he's posting pictures of his kills. He's also posting pictures of a table that he's setting with like either the victims or pieces of the victims sitting yep. in the seats. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the like, cops can't figure out where it's coming from. It. I do feel like like the cops should be able to geo track some of this shit. Well, they sort of explain that he's like, what he's doing is he's like taking the pictures with the, with it in airplane mode and then like going to somewhere else to upload it, which I guess like would at least throw him off the track for a couple days. Um, I mean, I have like also taken pictures in airplane mode and gone somewhere else to upload them. So (laughs) he's posting all of them like hashtag later gram. Uh, geotagging it as something that's not a real place <laughs> geotag the eras tour geotag <laughs> Renaissance tour. <laughs> um, yeah, he also that's... uh sets up a fun little live stream at one point which has a couple of great fake outs for the cops trying to track him yes um there's sort of like a uh a saw to ask like oh this is oh my god there is i forgot oh my god when i was watching this and i was like going insane when i was watching this movie i just want to be clear about the vibe of me watching this movie in theaters because i went in (laughs) and i was like it's an eli roth movie so it's probably gonna be something i enjoy but will it be like great i don't know and then i'm watching this movie and i was like holy shit this is fucking great um yeah so um yeah. like I was like and this is not just like Matt as an Eli Roth fan great. This is like legitimately a great movie. Right. Um, so I'm watching right. this That's... movie. And then the Saw 2 moment happens and I like <laughs> almost leapt out of my seat. I was like I think this is intentional. Um <laughs> like cuz Eli Roth has seen Saw 2 like at least 7 times. So yeah. you like, know. <laughs> Yeah, no, this this was one that wasn't just for the fans. Like, I was looking forward to a new Eli Roth movie, but this was one that was getting praise from outside of just people who like the hostile movies. You know, people were like, hey, Eli Roth made, like, a really good slasher. Let's this check this isn't out. just for people who liked that one scene in Cabin Fever. Um, <laughs> Pancakes! Pancakes! <laughs> Is that a scene you're talking about? <laughs> well, I was thinking about the shaving scene. Oh but, yeah, um, that's the other one. <laughs> or the mm, the fingering scene. But um, Ugh. you know, there's so much bad shit that happens in Cabin Fever. Let's just leave it at Cabin Fever. Um, yeah. yeah, great movie. But um, <laughs> great yeah. movie, traumatizing for life. But yeah, very of course. Fun. Yeah, you know, I'll never drink water from a reservoir again. Not that I would ever do that anyway um definitely because not. i use a brita filter so i'm obviously a bougie bitch um <laughs> so yeah uh so carver's got like a live stream that people are the cops are trying to track him down but he's got a, got some fake outs arranged for them and uh that live stream scene too was was pretty scary as well like that got intense Oh yeah, like, that was fun. That was really fun. Whole like everybody, everybody's all he was like kidnapped a bunch of people and they're all tied up and like they have to watch him killing people. Um, so yeah, that got like that went from like a fun place to like a really intense, creepy place real fast. Um, 
and you know like the the killer is using a voice changer as well we've got we've always got that it's kind of it's kind of scream-esque at times it, oh, in the way movie that was like very very inspired by scream we know that the killer is somebody that we've seen at this point we know that it's somebody like one of the main characters we just can't figure out who it is so there's a lot of like could you be the one doing this could you like actually the scream references are kind of the biggest clue to who it is. So, yeah, I'll true, say that. True. Uh-huh. I'm sure we'll spoil who it is within the the podcast, but yeah, um, we should warn before we do. But <laughs> yeah. um, yeah, but I don't know that I have too much more to say about this other than it was just like a really fun. It was great fun. movie. It was scary Perfect for a Thanksgiving it was, watch. It was funny. Um, I liked the weird like Russians. Um, I don't know what was going yeah. on with the Russian dad and Russian daughter. And it's like we're going to Florida. Okay. Um, <laughs> I don't. Why not? Um, Ron DeSantis will probably save you. So <laughs> you know, um, Ron DeSantis hates people in costumes. That's why he's coming after Disney. Ron DeSantis wears a costume every day because he wears boots that give him more height. Um, <laughs> so he can't hate costumes that much. True. True. Um, yeah. So I, I don't know. I thought it was great. Um, my favorite thing about this movie was the ridiculous Boston accents. We had not even mentioned that Patrick Dempsey is in this movie and Patrick Dempsey is out here doing an absurd Boston accent for the entire movie. Yeah. He's he's playing a Boston cop, so he's got to yeah. lean into it, definitely. He's out here like, I'm going to the Thanksgiving party. All right. <laughs> um, same. Um, <laughs> wow, I can't believe both of our movies are Boston movies. That's true. Or like, you know, Boston area, Boston. Yeah, adjacent. no, I meant like Massachusetts broadly. When I say Boston, mm-hmm. I mean the state of Massachusetts because nothing else is in Massachusetts. Sorry to Plymouth. Um, <laughs> um but yeah, so I meant like, you know, the whole area, uh, New England, Massachusetts being the main area of New England. Sorry to the rest of New England. Um, but yeah, so yeah, I can't believe that that has worked out. But yeah, this movie has a lot of like fun accents, which I thought was really, really enjoyable and also made it really funny that there were no Wahlbergs or Afflecks involved in this movie. Uh, <laughs> so. That would have been it. That would have been a great cameo. Maybe when they, they, they the sequel did, has it, been announced. They're yeah, doing yeah. I was going to say, it seems like they're going to make this sequel. At least they've announced it. So it, it and seems I feel certain like the from sequel, the beginning. Though, but... goes slightly bigger because you, you do with a sequel. They should pull in a Wahlberg or Affleck. That's, yeah, that's a we, thing that should happen. We need uh, some Massachusetts royalty to show up, at yeah. least for a cameo. Yeah. yeah. We really need that. I mean, I Ben Affleck in, in the next one. Ben Affleck getting murdered in a Dunkin' Donuts would probably be <laughs> the best thing the movie could ever do. I mean, literally pinnacle of a cinematic experience. I would probably weep in a theater watching it. That would be so good. <laughs> um, so Ben Affleck, if you're listening... Sign on. That's all I'm saying. Um, you can just see him like as he's dying, like reaching towards the coffee. Like it's that's his, the thing. Like it would be, it would be a whole thing. It'd be a whole thing. Um, 
and then you see a phone next to his hand and it's JLo calling. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, it'd just be so good. So good. That's what they should do. That's so that's my pitch for the sequel. I don't know what else the rest of I don't know what the rest of the movie has, but Ben Affleck dying is the main thing. We it's just need that like, one scene. It's probably based around a Dunkin' Donuts incident in some capacity, you know, like like some Bostonians were going nuts for coffee one day. And then the killer was like, I need to take revenge on everybody who stampeded that Dunkin'. Maybe it was when Ice Spice released her like munchkins infused beverage at Dunkin' Donuts <laughs> and everybody was going ham for it and some people died. And so he's killing everybody who went ham for the Ice Spice drink. <laughs> just a thought. Just a thought. That's um, that's a interesting setup, but yep, maybe I've, I've delivered my premise. Eli, if you want to talk. Um oh, there's also some some moments from the trailer that made it into the movie that I wanted to mention. Um, the turkey getting like the guy in the turkey mascot outfit getting decapitated during the parade. Oh yes. And blood spilling out. Oh, uh, yes. As soon as I saw the guy in the turkey costume, I was like, Oh boy. Oh boy. Is it going to happen? <laughs> Is it going to happen? And like, they were like, they were toying with us too. Cause they kept having guys who were dressed in like, pilgrim outfit show up but then it was like oh that's actually like a different guy like that guy's fine and then they like they had the clown <laughs> the clown was actually the killer disguised the clown <laughs> so <laughs> the the killer changed costumes just for this scene to mess with us and then he Would decapitated really the turkey <laughs> so we got we got our decapitated turkey with the blood spilling all over the place they didn't have the guy <laughs> tasting the blood from the guy and going that's blood <laughs> <laughs> which is my favorite part from the trailer <laughs> it's so weird and out of place um they also recreated the trampoline scene they did a yes. twist um in the um in the trailer she's bouncing on the trampoline and then she does the splits and lands on the knife that cuts yes. up through the, the trampoline, um, which some people probably rightly criticize as a little <laughs> misogynistic. Uh, mm -hmm. There's some problems with doing that. Uh, but in this movie, she more, perhaps even more realistically, <laughs> lands on it with her foot. And it it's like... It's still really bad. I'll say that. I can't I can't say whether it's worse having because like that doesn't viscerally hit me the same way that it would a woman, but uh it goes like right through her foot. Yeah. And it's real bad. Like it's pretty bad. The, and there's she's a lot like of on screaming. A trampoline, so she's bouncing, so she lands on her <laughs> several other times. She keeps yeah, she keeps bouncing onto the knife so uh yeah they still they found a way to make that scene fun while making it maybe a little more appropriate so, yeah it, it's not a, yeah yeah i agree that's always nice but it's a lot of fun there's gonna be a sequel we're gonna get thanksgiving too it's gonna happen oh yeah i'm excited for thanksgiving too um we suspect that the killer probably got away at the end it's one of those classic like oh what where'd he go kind of thing so like maybe he died in the explosion yeah like you know the killer never dies in the explosion um he's I, definitely gonna get away somehow 
I would like to spoil it for like the next like 30 seconds. Um, so right. if you haven't seen it, stop listening now, skip to like a minute later. Patrick Dempsey yelling, this Thanksgiving, there will be no leftovers, was like the funniest <laughs> thing I have ever experienced possibly in my entire life. It was oh, God. as like fire is erupting around him. Like, <laughs> I was like, <laughs> fuck yeah. This is, Eli Roth knows what this movie is about. Like, <laughs> I love the fact that the killer, again, like he's doing this all for like personal revenge, but he's like, you know, while I'm doing this, I'm going to be as kishy as hell. Like, I'm going to lean mm-hmm. into this whole character I've come up with. Yes. You know, and, and like that, it, it, isn't that classic? You know, he, he's a cop, but he probably wanted to be something else at some point. <laughs> he, he, he wanted to have a more theatrical life. God, I hope and he he's something else at some point. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> he's he's using this opportunity to to live out his uh his pilgrim realness you know he was a drama kid you know that if they ever made a prequel he's like the theater kid um so yeah yeah you're right about that um man the funny like just like the fun like i did call who it would be pretty early on just because i was like it's got to be him come on they didn't bring him in for nothing like um, right that's always you know, a, a telltale sign yeah um although i did think it was like a fun just like he's a a scream cast member you know um so i thought that was also just like a fun reference um because mm-hmm. he's a he's a detective in scream you know um yeah uh scream three but um <clears throat> you know i i thought that could maybe be it but yeah i did kind of call it but yeah the the, the whole vibe is like <laughs> he's just so he's running around just like yelling in his Boston accent and then he's like and by the way and at the end he's like trying to like kill everybody I'm like okay the drama of him being like I loved her she was gonna leave her husband I'm like well like no she wasn't like nobody who's ever said that meant it so I think you should probably like go see a therapist man um, yeah, yeah, always a better choice, but you then, know, murder, then we don't, yeah, um, <laughs> the, the slashers never make the most reasonable choice, I'd say. It's not what? reasonable, it's not reasonable say. to dress up as a pilgrim and kill a bunch of people in increasingly his, dramatic his, like, ways. His like reaction to being upset about the death of somebody he cared about was like, I should dress as a pilgrim and murder <laughs> people. <laughs> I like first it's like, I love all right. whatever like the mental process that gets somebody to that thought. Like it's I'm like, like yeah. time to go pilgrim mode. <laughs> Maybe this was something he was contemplating for a while. He's like, all right, it's it's time to activate the plan. Yeah, he'd um, already had like costume sketches in his like diary, <laughs> and then the death happened, and he was like, you know what, pilgrim mode. That's it. That's it. It's pilgrim. Um, he's like, I'm taking a pilgrimage to my own town. <laughs> um, so, God, could you imagine? Um, and now he's still out there. John Carver is still there. And he's going to murder people. And he's going to speak in a ridiculous Boston accent. Yeah. When he does. Um, next Thanksgiving, hopefully. Is it supposed to be next year? Is it supposed to be 2024? I, I have no idea. I don't know if they've set a date yet. Okay, I was like, are we going to get another Saw and a Thanksgiving sequel in the same year? Yeah, that um, we are at least getting another Saw movie. We found out this today. We did. 
it did feel like it was um it's the fifth night of hanukkah um and also <laughs> we were gifted with a new saw movie announcement so i do feel yeah. like good things are on the horizon um we used to be a proper country and we might be on track to being one again because we've saw got movie saw movies every year. in two years so yeah that's all we can ask for. yeah i do saw think movie every year this is actually the sign of a good economy. So I think we need to relish in that. I think we need to love that. I think we need to live with it. Um, we really did build back better. We built back better. This is what Joe Biden funded. He funded Saw 11. Saw 11. I mean, it's set in Pittsburgh, which is the Rust Belt, which is his bread and butter. So I don't know if it's actually set in Pittsburgh, but I am choosing to accept <laughs> that as reality. So that, that, that is an option that it could, it's I mean, within, it's, it's within the range of possibilities that we've determined. I think it's definitely in the Rust Belt. So why not Pittsburgh? You know what I mean? Um, where else is it going to be? Madison, you know, <laughs> Detroit. Um, it could possibly you don't get, you don't get the top tier killers out in Madison. You've got you get that. like uh, the 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 G, the G League is out there. Not the G League. Um, <laughs> you could possibly get. I mean, Detroit. You could get some some real shit could happen at Detroit. I will I will give Detroit that. Yeah, um, no, Detroit is top tier. I mean, you you've got uh, Barbarian out in Detroit. So you've got Bar listen, <laughs> <laughs> Barbarian is something unlike anything we've ever experienced. Um, <laughs> um, That's that. S tier right there. <laughs> um, so I'm just saying that it's like Pittsburgh or Detroit. That's what you've got for the Saw universe. Um, those are the two. That's it. That's where it could be. There might be somewhere in Ohio, but Ohio doesn't have a big enough city. But the vibes of Ohio are Saul. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> we just, they, they should just start making one each year where there's an explicit location, but it changes every time. Oh my so God, that'd like, be we can, it'd we be could so get an Ohio Saul. We could get a Pennsylvania Saul. It'd be so funny if throughout the entire Saul franchise, they'd shown license plates and every time it'd been a different state. <laughs> like if like in Saul one, it was like, and here we are in Philadelphia, in Pennsylvania. And then in Saul two, they were like, yes, this happened very shortly after Saul one, but now our plates are Wisconsin. And then in Saul three, they were like, and now our plates are Arizona. Um, <laughs> they've just been like can't, very fun. Can't wait for Saul goes Hawaiian. Saul, oh my <laughs> God. Saul should go Hawaii. Um, Saul goes international would also be a thing that should probably. Saul should go to Orlando. I think that's where Saw <laughs> should travel. It's already Saw's kind of a Saw trap if you've ever been to Orlando. So it's, you know, it's not Setting hard. up outside of the Magic Kingdom. You set up, like, you set up camp, like, inside the Tower of Terror. <laughs> and you just get away with a lot. Uh, test track. You set up some violence in test track. And just see what happens, you know? Yeah. I think, I think you get away with stuff. Because those cars are doing all sorts of shit. You could throw some people in their path. Whatever. <laughs> people die at amusement parks. It, it could happen. Haven't we all? I've seen Final Destination 3. Um, <laughs> I've seen... Um, what's that other that other movie? Um, the Houses October Built. People die <laughs> at these events. It can happen. That's true. Hellfest? 
<laughs> Hellfest is practically a documentary. Hello? Hello? Yeah. A sacred text of the pod. Um, so, yeah. You know, I'm just putting some ideas out there for the Saw universe. Saw 11, you've gone to Mexico. Yeah. It's time to go somewhere else. Yeah, we gotta we travel to the world. Creative. We need to get creative. But it needs it to be somewhere be, in the US. So. You know, Jigsaw knows that he's dying, so everybody, one of the major things that people want to do before they die is, you know, travel the world. So oh my God. He maybe he last just decides. He last was seen in Mexico. I definitely think he should just go to College Station and get the Texas A&M crowd. Um, <laughs> just get him. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Sorry to the 12th man. Per time. Personal preferences coming out. Um, um, so shifting gears from Thanksgiving to Christmas. Woo covering the whole holiday season. Uh, let's no, talk no. about the holdovers. Not the whole holiday season. That's that's it. Those, those that that's the holidays. Well, there's like well, Hanukkah and yeah, Festivus. We need a Festivus. <laughs> there need to there needs to be a Festivus movie. Um, we should talk about like Hanukkah movies some year. I don't know. Like, I mean, there's like the Adam Sandler one. Okay, well, I don't, don't want to talk about Eight Crazy Nights. If we could like not. <laughs> I don't know. That's like the literally the only one I've ever heard of. So yeah, we should look into that. Um, but there should be a Hanukkah horror movie. That's I'm putting that out there. If there isn't one already, make a Hanukkah horror movie. I'm there. Day one. I honestly Tap. don't know if there is either. And I feel like I would know. So um, yeah, I don't know. But as for now, we have uh, the holdovers to talk about and uh this film is set at christmas uh or like the the week leading up to christmas um at a boarding school in massachusetts in 1970 that's correct and um it's about the holdovers at this remote boarding school which are the people like uh, the the students who have to stay over at school over the holidays for whatever reason, um, their parents are not able to pick them up or have them come home. So they have to stay there. And as a result, our main character, Paul Hunnam, um, one of the professors at this school has to watch over them. Yes. Yes. It does not sound like a fun gig to me no not really it's not fun for anyone involved is one of the things we quickly find out he doesn't want to be there the uh students don't certainly don't want to be there um i mean you know who who wants to stay at school extra over the holidays see the thing it's is not, I used not to. really fun you did when i was well, in college i would love to not go home <laughs> Oh, okay. Well, well elaborate. A add to this. You were one of the holdovers then. Explain. I think it's not a fun conversation for me to explain. Um, <laughs> but I think okay. that All right. cool. I think that in a lot of ways there was more freedom when I wasn't at home. Now, the difference is that in this movie there wasn't more freedom when you 
stayed at school. Um, yeah. And partially that's because they're not college students. I'm talking about when I was in college. Um, right. So, you know, our, our main student character here is, is a high schooler. Um, and there's just a lot more restrictions on a high schoolers freedom because they're under 18 um, than a college students. So, you know, there is a difference there, but for me, it was just the being at home at a certain point in my life made it hard to be me and, you know, live my life. So I didn't like to go. So I would all, I would often choose to stay at school um, over major holidays. Um, so for me, I was like, Oh, I would be a holdover. Uh, so you know, whatever. But I can understand why it's difficult for some people. Um, yeah. And I can understand yeah. why the circumstances made it difficult for all characters involved in this movie. That's fair. Yeah. Um, Angus, the uh, the main student character in this movie, um, he definitely doesn't want to be here. But you also get the sense that things aren't really that great for him back home either so yeah angus wants doesn't want to be there but he doesn't really want to be anywhere else either that he no. could be i should say he definitely is not treated well by his parents or by you know his mom and his new stepdad and he uh mostly seems to want to get away from the school just because it's not great there and maybe at home, it's easier for him to just avoid his parents and avoid I think everyone. nobody in high school wants to get away. Like, nobody in high school wants to stay in high school. Um, I think that's just, like, life. Um, even when he wants to leave the school for the holiday, he doesn't want to go home. He wants to go to, um, what is it, St. Kitts? Yes. Uh, like, he doesn't, he doesn't want... It's not like he wants to go back to just like his house. Um, you know, he wants to go on this vacation. <laughs> um, so it it is a little different than like some other characters who maybe just want to go home. Um, his, his experience is a little bit different. In fact, none of these characters really want to go to quote unquote home. Um, you know, Angus doesn't want to go to the, the home that is technically the place where he lives. Um, uh, Paul, I don't know. He lives at the school, but it's not like, I don't know. He doesn't really have a home, um, like in the true sense. And Mary, she doesn't really have a home anymore with the loss of her son. So when she's like, I'm going to go visit people, it's not her own home. It's her sister's. Uh, yeah. None of these characters have like a home that they can go to that feels like what we all think of as, as home. Um, which is an important plot point. Um, but so even for Angus, who like obviously wants to leave school, it's not because he wants to go home because there isn't that traditional sense of home for him. Yeah. Um, at, so initially at, at the beginning of like this holdover period, as the holidays start, there's a bunch of uh, students who are holding over uh, but that lasts about a day or a day and a half. Um, there's there's a whole bunch of students that we get to know very briefly. Okay, I do want to be clear that you say a whole bunch, but it's like... It's like five or six. Five. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, they're there very briefly before one of the students' dad, who is like this big, powerful CEO, 
comes in to pick up his son in a helicopter to take him off to a ski resort. And then the other students are like, oh, can we tag along? He's like, sure. Which is <laughs> <laughs> just, just such a crazy plot point. But I'm sure there's someone out there like rich enough to be like, oh, yeah, yeah, just come along to the, the ski resort. Well, I think that it probably is not totally unheard of at the sort of in the sort of circles that these like boarding school kids are running in. Right. Yeah. This is like this is supposed to be a, a boarding school mostly for like really privileged kids. And that's uh, like a constant point of contention in the movie. The the um, difference between the privilege of the young students and the other people in this community, right. uh, the town where the school is set and uh, of the teachers as well. Like uh, for for Paul, that's like clearly a bit of a sore point for him being around all these young privileged men or young boys, actually all these young boys from a very privileged background. Um, when he, as we find out later, did not come from that sort of background. Right. Yeah. It, it's obviously, a, a yeah, it's obviously a reason that he feels some animosity towards a lot of the students he teaches. Um, and we know he feels this animosity because he doesn't hide it. So, yeah, he uh, he brags about having flunked uh, like the son of a senator. Okay, well, who, that, uh, I think anybody would brag about that. Yeah, <laughs> but he just like he generally likes being like a major hard ass as a teacher, and uh, you can tell that at least part of it is because he's uh, he he likes punishing these kids that like who may have a very nice life, but when they're in his classroom, like he's the one in control. Right. Yes. I think that's absolutely right. I think he likes having that sense of control and he likes putting all of these like privileged boys, quote unquote, in their place, you know? Yeah. Um, I think that's something he relishes. So he, he does it. I mean, he, he, when there's a scene where he's passing out all the tests and everybody's getting like D's and C's. I mean, that's, <laughs> it's a history class. Yeah. I mean, not to say that history isn't difficult for people, but it's rote memorization in a lot of ways. Like you, it's hard to have nobody in the class get an A, you know? Yeah. Somebody in that and class just knows the basics, right? Um, he's dropping those tests on the on the on the desk like sort of humming to himself like he's very pleased about it exactly um angus is the only one who gets a, like a decent score he gets a b plus like everyone else gets a d or an f somebody gets an f plus yeah <laughs> which was got a lot of laughs in the theater i was in uh it's a very funny movie by the way it is uh, really this funny. is yeah this was such a great movie to see with an audience. And if you're listening to this and it's still playing near you, I highly recommend seeing it, especially this holiday season. Uh, it's one of those movies that just feels right with an audience feels right in the right kind of time of year and the environment. It feels like the right movie for right now. Um, so yeah, does, go yeah. check it out. Definitely. And definitely try to see it in theaters. I agree with that. Um, Cause you're right. It is very funny. And there's a lot of moments that, that work best in a the theater. 
I liked being in a theater and hearing the people in front of and around me crying. So I knew I wasn't alone um, mm. when I cried through like the last like hour of this film. So, yeah, no. the, the movie gets very touching and very heart wrenching. Extremely sentimental movie, I would say, um, in the best way. It's a Christmas movie. It should be sentimental. Um but it's definitely the sort of movie that's like, we're going to make you feel things and don't look away from that. Um, it's a good thing. I mean, it kind of reminded me of like, of like, like a dead poet society kind of like emotion. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's, it's definitely got that kind of vibe. It's an earnest sentimental movie. And I think that so much of this movie is old school. I mean, the filming style, the film itself, um, like there are so many things about this movie that are that are just like an old school vibe. Um, I think it's nice that it also has an old school earnestness to it. Um, the movie, a lot of movies just don't do anymore. We're in like a post Marvel era movie where everything is ironic and everything is cynical, um, which has its joys. But I'm an earnest person, and I like a movie that is earnest as well. Um, and this yeah. movie was very earnest and I really, really appreciated it because the emotions were pure and, and very heartfelt. Um, so that was nice, <clears throat> but also yeah, it made me yeah. cry. Like every time anything happened, I'd just be like, Oh, I'm crying now. So that's nice. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's got several very emotional moments that are like impossible not to basically feel like your core. All I think. three of the major characters have like big emotional moments. Like all three of them. Mm -hmm. So you will yeah. at the very least cry three times. <laughs> three cries per film. But um, you might cry at other moments that don't need to make you cry. I cried when like the teenagers kissed in the basement. Why? Why did that make me cry? But it did. It did. So it was a, a cute, beautiful moment that made you like remember what it was like to be young and to I think you know, it made just me... connect with people. I think the whole sequence of Angus finding this girl at a party, you know, the niece of his, like, I don't know, like school counselor. Another teacher or someone, yeah, yeah someone who worked uh, at the school. I think she must be a secretary or counselor because she would be like, oh, hey, such and such wants to see you now. So, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Um, um, like, so somebody he probably doesn't interact with, like, terribly often, maybe like, at the start and end of a semester, you know what I mean? Um, when like classes are changing or something. Um, <clears throat> although actually we learned that he is on antidepressants. And so maybe he actually does see like a counselor type all the time. <laughs> um, no, but, yeah, he definitely hints at seeing a, a therapist of some well, sort. He takes regularly. a medication for depression. Yeah. Um, no, yeah. And that's that's explicitly Which is the same thing that Paul takes, which is a, a really nice, I think, uh moment. Um I think it's nice that they don't talk about it. Um it's just like understood that they get one another in some ways. Yeah. Um, an unspoken moment of connection. There are many such moments yes. in this film. Um but anyway, um you know, he's at this like party and the adults Paul and Mary are just like fucking going through it at this party. Um, Mary in particular, but Paul is not having a great time either. Um, and they're really upset. And he's just down there meeting this girl and he's having a really great time. And it's a really sweet moment of connection for a guy who like has no 
real connection to anyone his own age for most of this movie. Yeah. Um, yeah, true. You know, he can't connect to the other guys around him. And when he does connect to one of the other holdovers, it's like a kid, you know? Um, yeah. He and it's a kid more he connects to, to because younger... he had a nightmare and wet his bed. And it, it like says a lot about Angus, I think, as, as a person, that that's the holdover he connects to. Um, is this right. like, Korean national kid who's who's here because his parents want him to go to a good school but who really misses home and wants to be with his family but can't be there and who has nightmares and wets his bed and that's who angus connects with um, yeah that's because he's he's the biggest outsider besides angus himself he's exactly the one who feels like he like doesn't belong there at all and angus right. recognizes that right and wants to help him and then um and then, like, so his only two moments of connection with somebody under the age of 18 are that kid and this girl at a party who he's just met. And it, it's just, like, a nice moment where Angus is having that when the adults can't really connect with anyone. You know, Mary can't connect with a guy who's into her. You know, they just... Even though he's around a lot, she's clearly not... She's not... She's not into what he's putting down. Um, <laughs> so, um, and Paul is trying to connect with with Lydia and it turns out Lydia is spoken for, I will say. Um, and it's just like this, yeah. this really um, sweet, but also kind of sad moment for Angus. Um, Angus is an interesting character and he's difficult. He kind of reminded me of a catcher in the rye. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, um, like uh, the, there's that kind of vibes. He's like yeah. the, the troubled teen, the troubled he's, kind of uh, precocious, like teen who, who thinks he's so smart and gets it all. Um, but there's so much you just can't get when you're a teen, you know? Um, um, yeah. He's, he's such a, an interesting and an enjoyable character to watch grow in this movie and to, to watch his character come to life because he's kind of an asshole at the beginning. And I was like, I don't want to spend this movie with this guy. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then like by halfway through the movie, I was like, Oh man, I love this kid. Like <laughs> I would protect this kid with my life if I, if I like had to, you know, um, because he's just been through a lot. Um, and so I think, I think the movie is really smart in unfolding it that way. Cause I think that's true of Paul as well. Um, yeah. Paul is like the classic curmudgeon who like doesn't re really seem to get along with anyone who uh, like thrives on doling out punishment or being a disruptive, dislikable. But the more you get to know him, the more you see like that he's just full of defense mechanisms. He's right. spent a lifetime building up these walls and shutting people out but really he's not that bad to get along with he's actually quite pleasant uh once you actually get to know him once he realizes that you're not a threat to him so there there's like a parallel between their characters in that way and they're they both like have a tendency to uh give a bad first impression yes and, and, and it's uh, all offset by it's all offset by Mary, who's like, I guess she could be a little, like, standoffish at first, but she's, like, really, like, the most normal, kind person in the group of the of our main three characters. She's like, yeah, I'll go to the party. Yeah, I'll, you know, these are kids who need our love, even if they're kind of assholes. Like, <laughs> she's, like, the, the one who's, like, sitting there, like, yeah, well, like, they're just 
normal kids, most of them. Um, you know, it's interesting to see that because she has the most reason to be sort of like a cold, difficult, standoffish person in this group. People are assholes to her because she's a cook. And also her son just died. Um, yeah. You know, I would probably be a difficult, icy asshole if I were her. But she's not really. I mean, she's a little, you know, she doesn't jump to, like, warm up to you. But once she does, she's like, yeah, that kid's an ass, but he deserves love at Christmas time. Um, which is yeah, something she's, that, like, somebody like Paul needed to, like, learn. And she just... She's the one who, uh, yeah, who defends Angus the most, like, when Paul's really coming down on him. to so be like, he's a kid at Christmas. He deserves someone to take care of him to like give him a good Christmas. Right. And like, in like how, and also like when he will say things like, just, like hateful things about him, like, how could you say that? Like, how could you tell him someone like that age that nobody cares about him or whatever? Um, so like, yeah, she's somebody who has as more of an instinct towards like caring for others and, um, you know, being warm towards other people, but she's got this present problem of the grief that she's feeling that causes her to act maybe a bit differently than how she normally would to be a little more withdrawn. Um, and that's her problem that she's dealing with throughout the movie. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, I, I don't know if we clarify this, but yeah. So most of those, like at the start of this movie, I thought it was going to be, like a movie about this group of students um, at like holding over for Christmas and like how they all sort of grew together and like grew to like each other and uh, help each other become better. But most of them just leave and that we're left with just Angus and the uh, Paul and Mary um, Angus being the only student left there because they weren't able to get a hold of his parents to <laughs> ask them if it was okay for him to go to the ski resort, which is just like it's so funny that like <laughs> that that's like the whole inciting incident for it is like that they they're not able to get him on the phone, but it it also just represents how completely cut off. Uh, he is from like a caring presence in his life how how little respect like his parents are given yeah, to yeah. his needs that they're not he's they're not even get, able to get a hold of his parents when I it's actually, like an urgent matter i thought it was interesting the way the movie unfolded just how detached angus was from his actual family because mm -hmm. at first you think he's talking about his trip to St. Kipps and like he clearly, you know, he's talking about it in a way that makes it think like you think that everything's fine with his family. And yeah. He's like bragging learn, about it. Right. You slowly like gather this information. Like suddenly his parents have last minute canceled. You don't really know why. And then he's on the phone with his mom and you, and you learn that like clearly she's not married to his father um, and you're like, well, that's interesting. And then, you know, it's just the way it all unfolds. You know, th the phone calls with her are not great. And then Paul can't get in touch with his family. So it's like, well, that's odd because shouldn't they at least be reachable some way? Yes, we knew they were going to travel for their quote unquote honeymoon. 
but like they didn't leave like a an alternate number like anything um which would have been normal in like 1970 people would be like call me at this number instead because i'm traveling um we don't have to do that now because we all have cell phones but I feel like that was the norm then. Um, yeah. Even when I was like babysitting in the early 2000s, they would be like, we're going out here. Call this number if you need us. You know, um, I feel yeah. like that must have been even more normal in the 60s and 70s. Um, so, you know, you would think. And and then like by the time you actually meet his mother and stepfather and they're just like the worst fucking people. I mean, just deeply unpleasant, uncaring humans. And it explains so much about him. And it's interesting that the movie chooses to unfold that so slowly because he's such a prickly, difficult character. Um, So it makes you really sit with, these are the results of, you know, when you treat a kid this way, they're not going to be some pleasant 17-year-old nice warm guy they're gonna be fucking difficult because you treated them like shit their whole lives um, yeah you know and i think it is really interesting that the movie unfolds it that way because it makes you feel negatively towards him at first and then it unfolds all of this extra information as like well shit like yeah i'd probably be a piece of shit too like whatever <laughs> um you know they're they're just he has a shitty situation and his his mom is his mom and st- I mean, his stepdad is one thing, but at least his stepdad is like, you know, that's not his actual family, I guess. You know, he doesn't have any reason to care for Angus. So, yeah, like, that's yeah. maybe more understandable. I mean, he makes it. I mean, even his few scenes in the movie, the stepdad is like, he's like, well, that's not my son. So it's like you just have to write him off right away. He's a he's an yeah. asshole. But um, his mom talking about him and and his life the way that she does it's deeply upsetting um she just does not care about him she she cares about her image and it it is very very clear well maybe her image and her money um uh, (laughs) um, it's just and it's so upsetting and like having like i it's just hard for a kid to be raised that way and so it's interesting the way the movie like waits to reveal just how cold and difficult they are until like the very end um but it makes it so much more impactful when paul stands up to them um because his scene there is just you know incredible for what it is um paul giamatti is doing first of all why is paul playing a character called paul but um <laughs> he uh, also he also plays a character called Paul in the 2012 in a... hit movie musical Rock of Ages. Um yeah. <laughs> uh, it's yeah. like uh, maybe it's a, a bit of a wink to his presence in that film. Who I knows? choose to accept it as a nod to Rock of Ages 2012. Um <laughs> yes. Um he he really has a scene there at the end, man. I mean, it is good for Paul Giamatti. He's doing some excellent acting work in this movie. And that that ending sequence is very, very moving and very touching. Um, He's so great. And he really is like the perfect actor to play this role. He's always good at playing like these kind of like smart, smarmy, but also like really heartfelt characters. 
Um, I mean, and his, sometimes he just plays smart and smarmy without the heartfelt. Yeah. Um, yeah. Looks like Rock of Ages. <laughs> <laughs> he, he's good at like that kind of fast talking kind of attitude kind of thing. Um, and, and something about his character in this movie reminded me a lot about uh, the character that he plays in Sideways. Um, Actually, so the last. So the Nighthawks pre-show for this movie was largely Paul Giamatti clips. Um, although there were a couple of just like Christmas clips, um, but most of them were Paul Giamatti. And one of them was the sideways like trailer. Um, and it was yeah really, really enjoyable to watch. I haven't seen sideways in so long, but yeah. It's a great movie. I, I love Sideways, and the, you know this is Giamatti and Alexander Payne working together again. Uh, but it, it feels like it's very much in conversation with Sideways. Like his character in that movie is also someone who sort of feels like their potential is slipping away. You know, in this movie, he's somebody who was on track for like a pretty great academic career. And then had that derailed. And now he's, you know, stuck working in this, like the same school that he went to high school for. Um, you know, nobody pictures their life going that way. And he, you can tell, like, he very much, even though he says that he's fine working here and he's comfortable here, he, there's a lot of other things he'd rather be doing. He keeps talking about this book that he, or what what is it, what does he call it it's a a monogram a monogram like a, short, a monograph a short book monograph something like that it's like a short book i've never heard of this um but he keeps well, talking about that is and, like your like initials so yeah so a monograph, a monograph yeah it's a monograph so okay but um you can tell like that's something he's actually interested in doing like writing but he's too embarrassed and like doesn't want to open himself up that way yes i think that he's embarrassed and doesn't want to open himself up and is like afraid of like the risk of like doing something like that instead of just like the comfort of teaching the same thing over and over and failing yeah. a bunch of people you know um he yeah. gets to fail a bunch of people so he gets to exert power he gets to be the one in control in that right. situation. When you're writing, you you sort of lose that because you can't control how people react to what you've written, you know. Um, yeah. So and that and that reminded me a lot of his character in Sideways, where he he's this guy who he again he, like he is he's teaching high school in that movie, um, but he he actually wants to be a writer. He's got like this massive manuscript that he's been working on for years, but he's like super afraid to show it to anybody um, and he'll only let people he only lets the like the woman he's interested in read it when he's like actually starting to feel like they're connecting and like mm -hmm. they're getting close like he'll, he he again is like a character in that movie where he's sort of closed off to a lot of people and he'll only let people in when he's really sure that they're not going to be a threat to him well, I think um, this is also true of his character in Rock of Ages 2012. <laughs> <laughs> Where he's also a character who likes to, like, have control over his career. and He like, does. He does have control in that movie. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And he won't let people in in Rock of Ages. 
Now, I don't know if there's anything to let people into in that character in Rock of Ages, but, you know. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I feel like in that movie, he's very much like, except the the only the only time he's not in control is when he's with Stacy. But then he's he's just like very obsequious with Stacy. He's never really like closed off. Um but maybe, maybe but he I does don't know like if he's emotionally in... open either. I mean he's like what are not. what we... are Paul's emotions in any of this? I don't, think don't get a know. lot of depth into Paul Gill and like what makes him tick, what like what I'm his... calling Stacy's manager, Paul Gill. <laughs> um probably the best written line in, in screenplay history. Um I think he's also doing pretty much exactly what he wants to do in that movie. Like Yeah. He definitely wants to be the guy calling the shots, the guy, the star maker who can uh, change someone's career if you uh, do what he says. Right. So, yeah, I think he loves that. Um, (laughs) Yes, but no, um, Paul in this movie is just, he's a difficult character and he's had a, he's had a rough go of things. Um, I liked the scenes where they're bowling. Um, first of all, because I liked that the bowling balls were so small. Um, yeah, they did the, the candle pin bowling. Yeah, I can't. Um, if I had a bowling ball that size, I would probably like hurl it um, in a way that would break things. So, <laughs> you know, I I used to do that as a kid, but it was called duck pin bowling. But I think in uh, New England, they call it candle pin bowling. I've like never done that in my life. Um, I think that if I did, I would injure somebody. Um, but I liked, th- I liked that he learned how to bowl. I also liked the scenes where Angus makes fun of Paul's eye. Um, <laughs> yeah, he's got that lazy eye. Well, not yes. oh, like a walleye kind of yeah. thing, which I thought his was... eyes are always looking different directions in this movie. Yeah. I thought it was really funny. Um, and I thought Paul Giamatti played it really, really well. Um, I thought those scenes were really nice. I thought there were just so many scenes with like Angus and Paul where it was like, they had such a, I mean, obviously it's the point, but they had such a nice like father son vibe. Um, Mm -hmm. And it it was so sweet. Um, And I, I felt like so much of it was that that's what they both needed. Like Paul kind of needed somebody to actually mentor instead of the children or teenagers that he terrorized every year. Yeah. Um, And, Angus obviously needed a father figure, um, which we come to learn in, in harsh detail, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's, it just worked really, really well, their relationship. Yeah. And you you could tell that Paul saw something of himself in Angus. He saw this risk of wasted potential. Like Angus was the only person in his class who actually, like was doing well on the test and you could tell it wasn't because Paul like liked him or anything. Like he hated all the students and Angus was like, especially disruptive in class, but he was actually like doing well on the test. He was smart. He knew his stuff. Um, and, uh, Paul talks about that, uh, to his parents. He's like, this kid's like really smart. He's got so much potential and it would be a shame to see that go to waste. He sees, like the potential that Angus has and he knows how easily that can go to waste. Cause he sees what happened to him 
and right. like how he became this sad sack um guy who was teaching at his high school and not doing what he thought he would do right and uh he doesn't want that to happen to angus too he doesn't and he can see that that, that he's very much at risk for that because of both the way that angus is kind of like uh developing into this uh state of not caring about anything and also how his parents are threatening to like send him off to military school if he flunks out of another school so um he's trying to basically intervene and stop uh creating another him so to speak right yeah i did like that like the threat of this movie was like you're gonna be sent to fucking virginia um <laughs> I, did, I did love that and he like he mentioned the military school i was like oh yeah like i've heard of that they were like you're gonna go to fork union i was like oh well yeah, um, you don't want to yeah. go there i can't imagine anything worse than virginia you're right no um, <laughs> not virginia um i thought that was pretty funny but yeah there's just so paul Paul is an interesting character because he didn't really, I mean, yes, he, I guess you can say he threw his life away, but he didn't really, it's not really his fault that things went the way they went in his life. No. Um, as we learn, it's, you know, so much of it comes down to, again, like the privilege conversation, which is why Paul is so sensitive to it. Um, yeah. It, it really comes down to, Paul being shafted by somebody who had more money and stature within the community. Um, yeah. And like Paul, Paul, like he, he didn't come from a privileged background, but he got a scholarship to that school and he, you know, did really well and then got, got into Harvard and then he got his work plagiarized by somebody who was a legacy case and like who probably skated by his whole life and that upset his entire life. So he's clearly got a lot of uh, resentment towards people who came from that kind of upbringing because he sees that those are the people who win out and the people who work really hard and don't come from money and privilege, they often get, screwed over right which explains why he's you know he's so i mean he really loses it when somebody has the audacity to like diss mary and her her grief over her son it's like the first yeah. outburst we see from paul paul has for much for the first part of the movie he's just like this like i'm a teacher and i'm difficult and i'm proud of being difficult and then we see him at a dinner table and somebody has the, the nerve to say something negative about Mary and her cooking and then say, well, we know she's grieving, but come on. And he like, he loses it. He snaps at this kid. To be fair, yeah. the kid is a, a total douchebag. So I would also snap at this kid, but that's why I'm <laughs> not the teacher. But like, um, you know, it, it explains a lot about why he feels so strongly, um, about people speaking negatively about her and, and what she's going through because he's like she also lost a son and doesn't come from this like world of just like getting what you want all the time um you know and i, and I think that says a lot about how they 
ultimately were able to connect because they become quite good friends, um, which is sweet, I think, because there's a lot of ways in which they are not likely friends. Um, mm-hmm. But they, yeah. they do become good friends because they also, they both just have like, they've been like fucked over by life, <laughs> you know? And that's, I guess that's how it goes sometimes, but it does suck. All of these characters have just had like, they've just been like fucked. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Every, all the, our three main characters have had so much misfortune and yet they're, you know, they're able to relate to one another and their misfortune draws them closer. Right. Well, isn't that how it goes, right? You know, the Island of Misfit Toys, you, um, you're (laughs) drawn to people who also have like had a rough go of things because they, they get it. Um, I do like that this movie is not afraid to get like pretentious sometimes, like with like Paul shouting out like references to like ancient literature. Um, (laughs) Okay. Yeah. I love the fact that he was like teaching about like antiquity. He was like, like a classics professor. Like, yes, that, that hit close to home for me. He was was teaching ancient Civ, right? He was teaching civilization specifically. As someone who took all Latin all through high school, I was like, yeah, this, this bears, this is pretty accurate. Like, right. Like I feel like people who go into the classics like to be like that kind of stern. They do, but let's keep in mind that this was high school. So like these people were not doing it because they like wanted to, they were doing it because like they had to. Yeah. Um, And this was like, this was like a very traditional private school. So mm -hmm. like having to learn about the classics would have been, this was literally a separate piece except less gay. Um, So (laughs) that, which is also, I also saw Saltburn yesterday, which was also a separate piece, but like gayer. So I was like, (laughs) they made it more gay. Yeah. I was like, Um, like doing it out here. Um, But I did. I, um, I liked when like Angus went to like run across the gym, which hadn't been properly like, what was it? Um, It it was like midway through being waxed. I think he went to run across the gym and Paul is like, this is your Rubicon. Do not cross the Rubicon. I'm like, no high school teacher should say that to a student. Everybody <laughs> not, wants to cross the Rubicon if you say and, don't cross the Rubicon. Like, <laughs> and Angus is like, Alia Yakta Est. <laughs> so like, That's why I'm saying this, yeah. was, this was some dead poet society shit. We're doing like, actual like, like Latin in this movie. Yes. Uh, um, I was really there for it. That was a really good scene. That was really good. And then Angus screams in horror, and then he has to be taken to the hospital. <laughs> and it turns out he's just dislocated his arm. Um, oh, which is, yeah. of course, unpleasant. But you do spend the, like, ten minutes leading up to this revelation thinking he's maybe, like, irreparably shattered his arm bones the way he's acting. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, that whole The whole arm scene there is, like, it's the first time they learn to trust each other. Yes. It's a, it's a funny, weird way for them to bond. And they go to like the bar <laughs> and he's like trying to play pinball and there's a guy with a hook hand. Oh my God. That scene is so funny. Yeah. Um, oh, and, and we should say like that, that's the first time that the Miller high life gets brought up because is, the, yes. this whole movie, Angus is trying to get, um, 
Paul to buy him a drink. Cause he's like, so he he's in high school, but he's been held back a couple of years. So he's like almost 21, but not quite 21. Or I guess in the seventies, it would have been 18, but he's still not 18. Maybe. I don't know. But he's, he's, he's not old enough to drink. eighteen in this movie. He's gotta be. Maybe it's 21 then. I don't, I don't know. But he's not old enough to drink. They won't let him drink at the bar or whatever. I think that but even he, if he were legally old enough, I think Paul would not let him drink in his presence. Yeah, maybe maybe because Paul's in Paul charge still. Paul just a hard ass in this movie. But he keeps trying to get Paul to buy him a drink, and he keeps asking for a Miller High Life and calling it the champagne of beers. Yes. Which is like, <laughs> first of all, I love... I love that it's Miller High Life. You know, you know, I'm a big fan of High Life. Um, I love that he keeps quoting <laughs> the the tagline, uh, and that he's like that obsessed with it. And it's you know, Miller High Life is like kind of a throwback beer. You know, it's got this retro label and everything. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I feel like you could be drinking one of these, and it feels like the exact same beer you'd be drinking in 1970. So. Yeah, it was perfect for this film. It was perfect for me. It was perfect for Buzz on movies. Yes. Yeah. I agree. I, I loved the Miller High Life references. I really loved most of the alcohol references in this movie. They all have like a drinking thing going on. Um, Paul is yeah. constantly drinking Jim Beam. Um, just like constantly. I like when he's like stretching and then he leans down and picks up a bottle of Jim Beam, takes a swig and then lays down and <laughs> like the worst fart you've like ever heard. Uh, yeah. He was um, like lying, going, going to bed, like completely drunk, just like passing out on his little bed there. Yes. Uh, <laughs> twin size bed. And Mary, Mary is obviously drinking a lot of like wine and whiskey throughout the movie um mary drinks from a couple of different bottles of whiskey throughout the movie which lends me to believe that she has a pretty extensive collection somewhere in the school yes um at one point in the movie she's drinking from a bottle of old granddad (laughs) while she while she and paul watch the honeymooners on tv i was like oh yeah there's another drink that i love to have and it's another drink that has almost the exact same label it did in the 70s that's true um yes she is doing that i also love when they we watch the newlyweds in this in this movie um great great scene where they're watching the newlyweds um the whole yeah she is constantly drinking something which i get i probably would be too um but I also love when we like see scenes of her like actually in the kitchen, like where she's yelling at somebody for putting too much paprika in the soup. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, all right, yeah, I would also, you know, don't do that. Paprika is, you know, it's overpowering. You can't do that. Um, mm-hmm. But it's just so funny. She's such a funny presence here because she's she doesn't have as much, I feel like, dialogue or screen time as the other characters she says and does so much with her limited moments um, that go a really, really long way. Um, like when she's she, got a lot of like silent grief. She does. She has silent grief, and she also has like silent indignation. Like when she when they're at like the nice restaurant in Boston, and Angus has gone to see his father, and his father is like a whole story. We think that he's alive, but separated at first, and then we think he's dead and then we learn that he's not dead but he is 
completely mentally gone. Um, and it's just this whole thing. And Angus goes to visit his father at the asylum, essentially, in Boston. And they all yeah. go out to this nice dinner. Um, and Mary shows up. And Paul just wants to get, like, a decent dessert for Angus. Um, and they're like, we can't serve that because it has alcohol in it. And it's like, first of all, you're going to fucking burn the dessert. The alcohol. What are you talking about? Like, you're not <laughs> pouring, like, a whole bottle of brandy in your fucking cherries. Um, I've never heard of that being a thing, like dessert with alcohol in it being like unorderable for youth. But anyway. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, she argues that, you know, it cooks off, which is right. which it does. So but usually Mary, you... Mary in this scene is like Paul yells as well. But Mary is like, well, can we just get some cherries and ice cream to go, bitch? <laughs> and like, like. And she's so upset because she, like, even she understands, like, even though she wasn't there to see Angus go visit his dad, she's just like, what's wrong with you? Like, like, come on, this is a kid who's visible. I mean, first of all, the kid is visibly hurting at all times. He never looks well. He has, like, dark circles under his eyes when he slept, like, eight hours. Like, come on, give him some fucking cherries. Like, what are we doing here? Um, yeah, she just like she's, comp- she feels for like these kids, even when like they're kind of assholes. And I, I feel like she takes on like, I mean, she sh- doesn't need to, but she like feels something for them all the time. And and she shows that in the way she reacts to the way other people treat them. I would say, um, yeah. even if she doesn't, she's like- so she's so protective of exactly. Angus. Yeah, and it, you can tell that it's somewhat because she's missing her son mm-hmm. and she needs someone to take care of that way. Um, and her, her grief in this film is so powerful. And like, like I said, like it's a, so much of it is silent throughout the movie, but like that scene in the party where she's like had a bit too much to drink and you can tell like they, they set this up. Like she just, she's just sitting by the record player knocking back glass after glass of liquor and like you can tell like something bad is coming and then she has that meltdown in the kitchen Mm -hmm. where she's just like kind of crying over the sink and they're trying to like close the doors of the kitchen so nobody will come in and see um it felt so powerful and so real like it felt like you know that moment at at a party somebody just suddenly can't take anymore something that they've been holding in and like everybody who everybody who cared about her like came and and helped her out and right. you know Angus and Paul were there for her in that moment and like her grief all finally came bubbling up to the surface um so yeah i i thought her character was so powerful and really balanced out the trio of characters in this mm-hmm. movie I agree. I think Divine Joy Randolph, that's the actress, she did such a good job mm-hmm. of like conveying the grief without having to say so much. Um, you know, you just see it in everything she does in this movie. There are so many moments where there are even scenes where it's it's not the focus of, of the scene and you can just feel that she's everything she's doing is tinged with sadness. Um, which anyone would be after losing their child who was, you know, mm-hmm. a high, a college age, essentially. 
Um, that's, yeah. It's, it's so hard. That's so – I can't even fathom it. I, I mean, I don't have kids, obviously, and, you know – but I, I can't fathom what that must feel like. Um, and she does such a good job of just portraying this character who is everything she's doing is touched by grief. There's nothing she does in this movie that isn't touched by that. And so when you do have the moments where she is like laughing and, and, and having a, a nice, happy time, it, it's even more powerful. Um, uh, and it makes you like really relish the connection these three characters have Um and she is such an important part of that that connection. Um, she's great. I really liked her in this movie. She The scene where she breaks down at the party is obviously really, really good. But I also really liked the scene where she doesn't even really say anything, but she's putting her her son's stuff away in like her sister's kid's drawer. Yeah. Um, it was just so yeah. sad. <laughs> I really, uh, I really liked that whole bit because it was like you know she had finally had a chance to grieve, and she like went to her sisters even though she hadn't wanted to previously, mm-hmm. and now you could see her like giving away her son's old baby things and like helping her sister prepare for this new baby, and you could tell that like that she was making this new baby something that she could care about. Mm-hmm and something that would bring her joy and could help her heal from her grief. Right. I thought that was really beautiful. I thought it was very, very beautiful. And I also thought it was interesting that that was the first time we'd seen any of our main three characters away from like any of the other school characters or setting. Yeah. Um, And, and that's really the, really by the end of the movie, that's the only time we see that, (laughs) Um, you know, um, (laughs) she's the only one who has this like strong connection outside of the school, which is really, really interesting. Um, and I, I think says a lot to like how she is as a character and why her character represents what it does. Um, because I, I do think that her connection and like grounding outside of the school is, is important. Um, I think it, 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 I think it's important that she is the first of the three main characters who like find some sort of like, grounding and can like hold herself still in the midst of all of the like grief as opposed to all the two others who take more time to do so um Mm -hmm. because i think it's important that she has like this family connection elsewhere which angus and paul just obviously lack (laughs) um so um and i think it's such a beautiful moment that she has that um and she just plays it so well. That scene is so good. That scene where she's walking up to the stairs in, in that apartment and then sitting there with her sister. It's gorgeous. It's great. Um, yeah. She does a really, really good job. I also wanted to uh, to call out the performance of Dominic Sessa as Angus yeah. in this movie. Uh, is This is his first time acting performance. Like, he's a... <laughs> new discovery for this film he was yeah apparently one of the students at the boarding school that they shot this movie at and auditioned for this film and was good enough that they put him in one of the lead roles and wow (laughs) he's he's really good actually Um, in this movie he is really good um yeah that's actually insane to think about that he'd never, I mean, I know that happens sometimes like, you know, they're undiscovered actors, but 
he's really good for somebody who was discovered at the age that he's at, you know? Um, yeah. He, yeah. It's hard to do. And, and to, you know, do that against like someone like acting in a film with someone like Paul Giamatti yes. and for a director like Alexander Payne in a film that is getting some Oscars attention, like that's, that's a high level stuff. And yeah. he's like, people are talking about award nominations for him. So um, he's really making quite a debut performance. I mean, I would love to see an award nomination for him or Paul Giamatti or divine joy Randolph. Um, I think all of them, it would be deserved. Based on what I've seen so far, there are obviously some things I haven't yet, but based on what I've seen, I feel like all three of them totally deserved such great performances. Um, but yeah, I mean, he he did such a good job for somebody who hasn't been in movies before. Um, such an affecting performance. So yeah, good for him. Honestly, it's hard. It's hard to to nail like likable and unlikable at the same time. Yes, exactly. Uh, and he does that at several points in the movie, and then also like the intense emotional weight that he has to carry throughout the film. He does. Uh, it's really impressive. He does such a good job of being like, yeah, he's not. It's so easy to want to be like, God, I want to punch you in the face. But then the more you get to know him, it's like, well, I understand you. And it's it's so sad and difficult. And so he does such a good job of really driving home, like, the sympathetic elements to this character who has had a rough go. And that rough go has made him unpleasant. Because um, so many movies are like, oh, this is a character who's had a rough life. And they're so sweet and nice, right? Because they've had a rough time and they know how it feels. This is a character who's had a rough time and he's like, I'm going to be an asshole because of that. Yeah. Um, which is, first of all, more realistic. So, you know, we need more of that. And second of all, just like a, you know, a sort of like more daunting role to take on. And he does it so well because he he does still play an asshole. He's an asshole even by the end of the movie. Um, yeah. When like Paul is like almost crying and he just sort of like, I'll see ya and runs away through the snow. Like, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm like, all right. Um, you know, he's like 17 or whatever. He's clearly exactly. not entirely ready to be emotionally honest, yes. but, but you can tell it got through to him somewhat. He's an asshole in that way, but he's also still a sympathetic kid who has just had like a shit lot in life. Um, and you, you know, he really, really nails that because he he makes it easy to sympathize with even while being like all right i would probably you know be annoyed with you if you were my child but yeah so really good performance i do hope he gets some sort of oscars attention that'd be nice i don't think any of the holdovers cast did for the golden globes which just came out but oh i haven't checked yet but um this today not like just now yeah i think they came out today right um, not that that means anything, but, and also, I mean, the Golden Globes are like, you know, fake, but <laughs> we all know. Um, I think if I'm not mistaken, I read a tweet saying that the holdovers did not get Golden Globes attention. Um, because it was from somebody who was upset that it didn't. <laughs> I was like, well, same. So, 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, hopefully, hopefully uh, the Oscars will be a little kinder to this film because it, it's really great. Um, I think it's exactly the sort of thing for the holiday season, which is a season about rebirth and, you know, coming into yourself, you know, accepting your feelings and being close and honest with those around you. Paul Giamatti got a best performance, musical or comedy. Okay. Yeah. It's definitely a comedy. Like... (laughs) We haven't talked enough about how funny this movie is, but it's the movie's so funny. very funny. The movie's very funny. Um, definitely. And Divine Joy Randolph got a Best Supporting Actress. Okay, okay. So okay for so, Golden Globe. Yeah, it, I, that makes and a little more best, sense. I, it got one of the best picture musical or comedy as well. But um, I thought this was getting some attention, at least yeah. in other award shows. Um, but yeah, um, highly recommend going to check this out. It's just the right kind of thing for the holidays. And I feel like it's going to become like a holiday classic. It totally should. At least at least it, the sort of like uh, that a movie like Carol is where. Oh, my it's God. Like, Wait, it's way more of a holiday <laughs> classic than Carol. Come on. Well, and I love people, Carol. People... I'm not saying Carol is like a worse movie or anything. I'm just saying. This is a more holiday movie than Carol. Yeah, I'm just I'm just saying that like you're not gonna watch it like you do Frosty the Snowman, but it it has that holiday vibe and it is an uplifting kind of movie to watch. At, I'm not gonna watch it like I watch Frosty the Snowman because Frosty the Snowman is like 45 minutes long, but like <laughs> I might watch this the way I watch It's a Wonderful Life, like once yeah. a year yeah, every okay. year, like like it's it's a really gorgeous movie that really nails some like key themes of the Christmas season, at least to my mind. So to me, I might watch this every year. So I don't know. I loved this movie. I feel like, I feel like it could be an easy classic that you watch as much as you do any other Christmas movie, not frosty, the snowman, (laughs) because I'm not talking about kids movies that kids want to watch every other day but yeah <laughs> like adult christmas no. movies this is an adult christmas movie that you can watch as much as you watch any adult christmas movie um, yeah so. i agree it, it'll give you some feelings oh it will definitely do that it's, i'm looking forward to owning it on dvd so i can put it on and cry for a little bit i want to cry when that kid is ice skating for a little while I could all if I could mm-hmm. just sob to fucking Angus ice skating for an hour. That'd be nice. Um, for some reason, that was very deeply upsetting to me. So he's having fun. You know, he's finally getting to have the kind of Christmas that he wants. Yeah, I think every scene where Angus had a good time made me cry. So that was a nice thing. I was like, oh, the kid's happy. I'm going to sob now. <laughs> yeah, but. Definitely recommend getting out and watching this movie this holiday season. It is heartwarming. It's funny. It's, you know, sad in all the right ways. And it's also just a tremendous movie. Great acting, great direction. Mm -hmm. And it feels very nostalgic as well. I like the, like, it's very of its time period that it's set in. It feels 
like an older kind of Christmas. And, you know, Christmas is always a time for nostalgia. We always watch old movies and listen to old music. And this feels like something from a different time. It does. I agree with that. Yeah. It, it, so much nostalgia in this movie. Um, yeah, definitely just watch it. That's that's my only suggestion. See it in theaters if you can um, while it's still playing. But if not, when it's out on home release, watch it then too. Watch it however you need to. Yeah. Have it your way. <laughs> <laughs> I think you mean have it in a way. Uh, have it in a way. Have it in a way. Um, yeah. I don't know. Great movie. Everybody go see The Holdovers. Great movie. We love the holdovers. So uh, that is our holiday present to you. Um, and it's not uh, meditations. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was that like uh, that is um, Paul's present to uh, Angus in the movie. And I was like, dang, I and wish to someone Mary. would give me and to Mary. Yeah. And to Mary too. He apparently gives it out to everyone. He has a, a whole pile of them. And um, yeah, no, I was like, oh, I wish someone would give me meditations. for yeah. Christmas. Like, <laughs> Give me a book. And it's like, this book is how you should live your life. And like, I I would respect that a lot. You know, I feel like I've That's been given gift. books like that and I didn't follow them. So here's here's to the holidays. Here's to Christmas and good presents that will help you live your life in a better way like the holdovers that's <laughs> our present to you um until next time you can find us on all the major podcast platforms um and we're on twitter at buzz on movies right now we don't tweet much anymore it's a cesspit over there um but you can also reach out to us by email buzz on movies at gmail top Buzzed on movies at gmail.com. Mm -hmm. And until next time, have a happy holiday, have a Merry Christmas, and we'll see you at the movies. We will see you at the movies or at Barton, where men don't lie. It's a fantasy place. <laughs> a Barton man never lies. <laughs>